So open your Bibles, please, to the book of John, chapter 1. We're going to read there together. I wanted to mention that a week from tomorrow, we're, we're, we're going to have what I'm calling a day of prayer and fasting. So I want to ask you to join me in praying at least half an hour. You can go on our website, go to events. It'll say day of, day of prayer and fasting, and you can sign up for at least half an hour time slot sometime between 5 in the morning, 11 o'clock that night. I want to ask you to join me in praying um, sometime in that day. And I said fasting, and probably a lot of you have never fasted before. And when you fast, uh, that means you don't eat. And maybe you already knew that part. And you'll get hungry, and you'll remember to pray. And I'm asking you to pray about three things. To pray um, for our church, for our nation, and for revival. Those three things need prayer, right? For our church, for our nation, for revival. We'll have some other things for you to pray about as well. So join us fast at least a meal that, uh, that day if you're physically able to, and join us in praying, and it's a week from Monday. Well, open your Bibles to John chapter 1. We're working our way through this chapter of the Bible. Let's read beginning with verse 14. You may remember, if you've been here in the past weeks, that the Bible's talking here about the Word, and it's referring to Jesus. You see that in the context here of the first chapter. And the Bible says the Word, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And it's talking about the nature of Jesus. And we've noticed how Jesus is more than just a good man, not just a, a good man who lived a long time ago, but God who became a man. Let's read, let's pick it up now in verse 14. The Bible says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed His glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning Him and exclaimed, This was the one of whom I said, The one coming after me ranks ahead of me because He existed before me. Indeed, we have all received grace upon grace from his fullness. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the one and only Son, who is himself God and is at the Father's side. He has revealed him. Well, I want you to note some principles here. And if you're a note taker, whether you're watching online or in person, I just encourage you to take some notes as we go. I'm going to give three principles that this passage is teaching us really ways that we can apply the message, lessons God wants us to know and to learn, and then some subpoints underneath it. So let's start with this principle. God is teaching us this lesson. God came to us. So the Bible is saying here, God came to us. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. God did not wait for you to come to Him. God did not wait for you to come to Him. One of the reasons why God did not wait for you to come to Him is because you're unable to reach Him. You're imperfect. You're, you're, you've had a bent towards sin from the earliest age. You've sinned yourself. You're broken by that sin. We follow the examples of our forefathers all the way back to Adam himself. That sin has been a part of our world. That brokenness, that sin has affected us deeply. And there, we can't reach God because God is holy so you can see a little of the problem that we have. How could we ever reach God? And what, if, what if you were perfect from here on out? You feel good about that, about being perfect from here on out? By God's standard of perfection, you feel good about that? If you were able to be perfect from here on out, I don't feel so good about it. Maybe you do. But if you were, you still couldn't erase the fact that you've sinned in the past. And so the Bible says God didn't wait for us to come to Him because we couldn't, we're unable to. But God came to us. The Bible says the Word became flesh. God took on human form. Jesus got hungry. Remember, Jesus fasted. 
Jesus knows what it's like to be thirsty. He knew what it was like to be tired. He knew what it was like to feel pain. He knew what it was like to go to the cross, the suffering of the cross on our behalf. Jesus became flesh, and the Bible says, and dwelt among us. He didn't just tell us about himself or stay far removed, but the Bible says he dwelt among us. He came to us. He lived among us. 25 years ago this very week, I know what I was doing. Some of you aren't 25 years old yet, but if you're if you are old enough, you maybe, maybe you don't remember, but I, 25 years ago was my first Sunday to come here in view of a call. That is, I came and you know, the church was, called me to be the pastor then. And No, 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 that's, we're going to save it for the 50th anniversary before we get very excited. This is no big deal. So, um, man, we, we loved where we were. I grew up here, but then we were in Texas. I was pastoring a church in Texas. We loved the people there. We loved our church. We loved our friends. And, but we knew God was calling us here. And so we didn't just like send in cassette tapes. Do you know what? Some of you don't know. Cassette tapes or whatever it was that we had. We didn't just, I moved here. I got my, my little kids slobbered with their friends, crying, weeping. You know, the only friends they'd ever known. We're taking them away from Texas and all the way to Illinois. And we, and we lived here. This became our home. The Bible says about the Lord Jesus. He didn't just stay distant or far removed and say, you know, I've noticed you guys have messed up a lot. You've sinned. Too bad for you. God, the Bible says the Word became flesh and He dwelt among us. He came and lived right here with us. So let's note a couple of things this means. First, it means He understands. He understands. You know, maybe no one else, maybe you feel like no one else in the world understands you. And maybe they don't. Maybe your friends don't understand you. Maybe your, fr- maybe your family doesn't understand you. Maybe your co-workers don't understand you. You know what? Maybe you don't understand you very well. That's a really common story, isn't it? It's hard to be honest with ourselves. It's hard to see ourselves as we really are. Common, common story. But God knows you, and he understands you in a way that no one else in the world can. He understands you better than anyone in the world. In fact, here's how, here's how I wrote it in my notes. No one in the world understands you like Jesus does. No one in the world understands you like Jesus does. And therefore, he is the means of truly understanding yourself. If you really want to understand yourself, by the way, by the, way the world doesn't, they're not going to help you too much with this one. But if you really under, want to understand who you are, no one in the world understands you like Jesus does. And he's the means of truly understanding yourself. Here's what the Bible says about, about Jesus and about his understanding of us. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4 verse 14 says this, therefore since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, he is for us by the way that our great high priest, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. The Bible's saying here Jesus, he understands your weaknesses, your frailties, your fall. He, he understands what it's like to live in this world of flesh. We do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And if you're going through a time of need, well, the Lord understands. He he understands what you're going through. He even knows what it's like to be tempted, yet without sin. The only one who could say that. He, know, he's, he knows what it's like to live in this world. He knows the fallen nature of our world. The Bible says the Word became flesh. 
Okay, he lived here. And secondly, it tells us he cares. Not just that he, not just that he uh, understands, but he cares. And the Lord cares about you. The Bible says, and he dwelt among us. This is an interesting word used here. The word dwelt means literally he came to live here. And literally it means he tabernacled with us. He tabernacled with us. If you know a little of the Old Testament, you might remember that word tabernacle. The tabernacle was the precursor of the temple. The temple was the, the permanent structure in Jerusalem that housed the very presence of God. The Ark of the Covenant was in the temple. The tabernacle was the movable form before that. You may remember that when the people of Israel were wandering out of slavery from Egypt on the way to the promised land, God had them make the tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant that represented God's presence, and they, and they, um, and that went through the wilderness, and then ended up at a place called Shiloh for hundreds of years. I'm going to, next time I'm in, in, uh, in Israel, I'm, we're going to see Shiloh. I've never been to Shiloh. I really, uh, it's not a lot there, just that reminder of the presence of God for all those hundreds of years in Shiloh. So, if the people of Israel would have been asked, well, where is God? They would have said, well, well, of course, God's everywhere. I mean, God's God. He's, he's everywhere. But the place that represents his dwelling is the tabernacle. That's the place that represents his dwelling, this, this tent, which we think of a tent as, we don't think of that as a dwelling so much. The first time I was in Israel, um, there's not so many of these now, but the, there was a Bedouin tent there. And that's where the people lived in a tent. Now, it might not be what you are thinking because they had a Mercedes parked outside of it, and they had a satellite dish on top of it. So it was a really, it was a pretty nice tent, but that's, that's where, that, that's where the, those Bedouin people lived. Well, the Bible says the Lord tabernacled with us. He came to live here with us. In the New Testament, now some of you know this, in the New Testament, the Bible says the temple is, do you know, do you remember where? In the heart of the believer. So God is not distant and far removed, he came to live among us. He tabernacled here. In the tabernacle was the Holy of Holies. And in the Holy of Holies is the Ark of the Covenant. And in the Ark of the Covenant, the, the, the top of that's called the mercy seat. And it covers, it's pure gold. And in the, in the Ark of the Covenant was, among other things, the Ten Commandments, the law. And the high priest, once a year on the Day of Atonement, would go into the Holy of Holies. And he would sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice on the top of the Ark of the Covenant, on the mercy seat. And it was the symbolism of God forgiving sin because the sacrifice had been made. God looking down at the law that we have broken is covered because of the sacrifice made. Well, Jesus is, you notice we don't sacrifice animals. Jesus is the perfect sacrifice made on our behalf. We don't need another sacrifice. And Jesus is, the Bible says, our mercy seat. And he is the one who dwells in our hearts, the Holy Spirit living in us. So that the Bible says, God came to us. He didn't stay far removed. He came to us. He did for us what we could not do for ourselves. We couldn't pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. We can't be religious enough to reach God. Perfection is beyond our grasp. But God did for us what we could not do. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. By the way, it says among us. Among us. We're broken and we're fallen and we've messed up in so many ways. 
we are self-centered and selfish. I'm talking primarily about the last service. Not, not that any of you would be this way. Selfish and self-centered and and we are unaware of our own weaknesses, and we, we blame our mistakes on someone else. It's never our fault, you know, it's the fault of someone else, our parents, you know, our co-workers, or someone who doesn't understand us. It's, it's not us, and we're small. We can be so small about, we take big things and act as though they're nothing, and we take small things and act, act like they're the most important thing in the whole world, and we, this is, this is the us that Jesus came to, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Not, not, we're not the perfect version of it. He didn't come to us because we were perfect, because we've never messed up, because we were so worthy. He came to us, among us, broken and fallen in a broken and fallen world and cared about us. And I want you to know that the Lord understands. If no one else in all the world understands, He understands. If you don't understand you yourself, He understands you in a way no one else can. And he cares. Now, there's a second principle I'd like you to note. And that is God shows us who he is. He shows us who he is. The Bible says in verse 14, we observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the father. We see the glory of God. Let's note three things here. First, we see God's greatness. The Bible talks about his glory, his glory. Moses would be in the presence of God. He had to wear a veil, the first masks, just to because it's the glory of God shone on his face. John the Baptist in verse 15 said, this was the one of whom I said, the one coming after me ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. He's saying he, it's about him, it's about his greatness, it's about his glory, and we see God's greatness. 25 years ago, I told this story. I think maybe it was on the Sunday I came in view of a call or a few weeks later when I, my first Sunday here, I, I don't know which it was, but I told this story. I remember reading it on a plane coming back from, I was reading something, on a, I was coming back from Poland on a mission trip, and I read this story, and it just kind of uh, stuck with me ever, ever since. So Abraham Lincoln, when he was at, um, when he was in the presidency, he got invited by someone to attend church. And the guy said, you're going to really like this preacher. He's really a good speaker, and, you know, you're, you should come hear him. And so Lincoln finally agreed to do it. And even in those days, the president, you know, coming to a worship service kind of caused a stir. And so he sat in the back and tried not to disturb the worship service too much. And after it was over, the guy who had invited him said, well, what would you think of the sermon? And Lincoln was noncommittal. And so finally the guy kind of pressed him and said, well, what would you, you think about it? And he said, well, to tell you the truth, I didn't like it that much. And the guy said, why not? And Lincoln said, well, he was really eloquent. You know, really a great speaker, but he didn't ask me to do anything great. He didn't ask me to do anything great. I'm telling you, there's a great God who asks great things of us. Great things of us. Church, he asks, now we can't do it in our strength, but in the power of the Holy Spirit, God working through us, he does great things. And so together we say, God, we, we believe you for great things. We believe you can do great things through us. We believe you have the power. We see you as a great God. And we make worship not about us. Be careful about that. We make it about the Lord himself. He's the only one 
worthy of our praise. There's a second thing we see here. We see God's nature, not just his greatness, but his nature. Notice the Bible says here, he is relational. Verse 14 says, uh, we observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the father. God is relational by nature. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, relational by nature. He is the one, by the way, who formed the family. That's not a cultural idea. The Lord created the family for a reason. Relationships matter to Him. God is relational with us. He created us for fellowship with Him, and He created us for fellowship with others. When we come to know Him as Savior, it happens through, through a relationship. God wants you to understand the value, importance of relationships, and it comes out of His nature. He is a relational God. He is eternal. That's his nature. He is eternal. In verse 15, John the Baptist said, the one coming after me ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. Now, if you're a Bible scholar, you may remember that Mary, when the angel came to say to Mary about the birth of Jesus, she said, you're going to have a child. And she said, how can this be? And and the angel said, the power of the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. And he said, your uh, relative uh, Elizabeth, who is the mother of John the Baptist, is already in her sixth month. So John the Baptist is older than Jesus. How could he say he came before me? Because John the Baptist understood this truth, that Jesus was not created in Bethlehem, but that he, he has always been. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning, he has always been. That is his nature. He is an eternal God. And we see God's purpose. We see God's purpose. Verse 18 says, It's a great verse. No one has ever seen God. None of us, with our puny human minds, we can't see all there is to see of God. We can't know all there is to know of God. He's too big. He's too great. His glory is too much. And then the Bible says, the one and only Son who is himself God and is at the Father's side, he has revealed him. So how do I if I can't see God, if I can't understand God fully, how do I know who He is? How, I'm, how is He revealed? Jesus is the revelation of who God is. I'd say it like this. God wants you to know Him and reveals Himself to you in the person of Jesus. God wants you to know Him, and He reveals Himself to you in the person of Jesus. So when I see Jesus, I see who God is. I see His nature. I see His heart. I see His activity. I see who God is when I see the person of Jesus. So last week I talked about seeing a flock of turkeys in our yard, and we just said a few months ago, I said, I haven't seen any turkeys in our yard for a couple of years, and man, since last week, almost every day I've seen this big flock of turkey in our yard, including this very morning. This, there was a crack of dawn. They flew it down from a tree, you know, near our, right on the edge of our yard and right down into the yard. I mean, so we've just been, I've been fascinated to watch them. The little babies are getting bigger. Some of the uh, older of the babies are maybe half the size, maybe a little bit more than half the size of their parents now. They look just like miniature adults. I mean, they just look exactly the same, just a little bit smaller. So if I didn't know what a um, mature turkey looks like, I could look at the baby and say, well, that, that baby looks, that's what, that's what the adult looks like. It's just going to be bigger. Well, I see God... In the person of Jesus, I see who God is, his nature, his character, his activities, his heart. I see who he is. He is the revelation to me of who God is. If I want to know who God is, I don't just just have to know something about him, but I can see him in the person of Jesus. Jesus reveals to us who God is. And God wants you to know him. 
He wants you to know who he is. He wants you to know who he's about, what he's about. We observed his glory. There's a third principle I'd like you to note from this text, and that is God gives us grace and truth. God gives us grace and truth. Verse 14 says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the father. And then it says these words, full of grace and truth. Grace is God's love to us that we don't deserve. It's not like God's payment for something we've done. Grace is where God loves us even though we don't deserve it. Truth is true. It's not my truth or your truth or their truth or this generation's truth as opposed to last generation's truth. Truth is true and God is truth. If I want to know what the truth is, I don't look at my culture. I don't even look at my feelings. I look at God. He is full of truth, full of grace and full of truth. So let's note a couple of things here. Note first that he has them to give. He gives us grace and truth, and he does that because he has plenty to give. Verse 14 says he's full of grace and truth. He's got lots. Verse 16 says, indeed, we've all received grace upon grace. It's not enough to say we've received grace. We've got grace upon grace. Not enough to say grace. We've got grace. We've got grace upon grace. By the way, when you're facing a difficult time, this is a weird day and age, and a lot of you are facing unusual difficulties and such, and we, we almost, we often in difficult times forget the blessings that we've received. But in the, right in the middle of difficult days, I want to remind you that we have received grace upon grace, and that God has blessed you. He has blessed you. You say, wait a second, look at the problems I've got. Man, it's hard. I don't know what's going to happen with work, and I have a family, and there's some questions about health, and you have received grace upon grace. Don't forget that. Don't lose sight of this. The enemy wants you to just, he wants, to, he wants you to live in fear and failure. And God wants you to see the blessings that he's already given to you, grace upon grace. And where does that come from? The Bible says in verse 16, we've all received grace upon grace from his fullness. He's got lots of it. He's not going to run out. He's not on short supply. You know, I don't have enough grace. I'm not sure I'm going to be able to give grace to anybody. Plenty. Lots. Do you remember the movie, It's a Wonderful Life? Do, do young people still watch the movie, It's a Wonderful Life? Christmas time, it's a Christmas movie, but, you know, it's good to think about Christmas once in a while. And in that movie, the main character, this guy, um, is flirting with a girl who would eventually marry him. So any of you guys who are looking for a tip, you try this one. He said to her, what do you want, Mary? What do you want? He said, do you want the moon? I'll lasso it and pull it down for you. Try that line. Some of you guys have really, you don't have a good line, and this one is, you know, maybe this will work for you. He, the girl married him, for crying out loud, so maybe it'll work. Now, it's cute to us because, you know, you can't lasso the moon and pull it down to you. And if you did, it'd mess up the tides terribly. I mean, it'd be really problematic for our, for, our, um, for our world. But, you know, it's a cute sentiment. But you can't do it. So when God talks about grace, I mean, it's just a sentiment. Does God just, is that what he does? He talks about love, I love you, you know. No, he is filled with grace. He's got all the grace you'll ever need. Truth is just emanates from him. That's his nature. And he wants you 
to have these things, and they're his to give. And so he wants you to experience his grace. He can forgive you of every sin. Remember when I talked about how broken you are? He can forgive every single sin. He can heal all the brokenness, all the damage, all the hurt, all the pain. He can deal with it all. Now, there's a second thing I want you to see, and that is I want you to see how he connects law and grace. And these two concepts are so critical. So verse um, 17 says this, For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. Well, I want you to see a little of this, how this works together. Uh, a, a little boy in our church said to me the other day, he forgot my name, and he said, uh, Hey, Pastor Judge. He said, Pastor Judge. Well, I'm not his judge. But you know, it was bad news. God is our judge. The Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. And God is our judge. And can I tell you, he's a righteous judge. He's a holy judge. He knows everything there is to know about you. You can't bribe him. You can't hide from him. So, so wait a second. If we're broken by sin, and if we've, every one of us sinned against God, and that's serious. I know the culture says sin's no big deal. If there is such a thing, it's no big deal. God says there is such a thing, of course, and you know it. In, intuitively there's a there's wrong. But the Bible says it's a terrible deal. It always leads to death. So doesn't this, how can this be good news? The Bible says the law came through Moses. So Moses received the Ten Commandments and then all the other laws, and we've broken them. We've broken them. We've sinned against God. If you've, have you ever told a lie ever in your life? Well, then you're a liar. I mean, you've... In fact, the Lord says if you've ever lusted in your heart, you've committed adultery. So, so we're all broken. So this does not sound like good news. If all you see is the law, and listen, the law is based in the truth of God. He says there are things that are good and things that are bad, right and wrong, helpful and harmful. And we've broken the law. It all sounds so bad, but, but, but grace, but grace, the Bible says, comes from the Lord Jesus. So let me kind of explain how this works. So if I stood before God on my own merit, I'm a sinner, condemned unclean. But God did something about my broken condition. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He tabernacled right here. And he lived the life I couldn't live, the perfect life, the only one who ever has. He lived the perfect life. And he was able, therefore, to die the death that I deserved. And then he did the miracle that I needed. He rose from the dead. He conquered death itself. Listen, can I just tell you, the Christian does not have to live in fear of death. I think I probably should say that again. The Christian does not have to live in the fear of death because it's been conquered by the power of God himself. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus lived the life I couldn't live. He died the death I deserved. He rose from the grave, conquering sin, death, and hell. And the Bible says, because he is filled with grace, because he loves me, though I don't deserve it, he will forgive my sins. If you will repent of your sins, place your faith in Jesus and receive him as Savior, the Bible says he will forgive you and make you brand new. 
and adopt you into his family and give you a life worth living and give you a home in heaven. Right now, the Bible says he is interceding for us. That's what, what he's doing at the right hand of the Father. He's interceding between sinful man and holy God, interceding on our behalf. There, our sins forgiven because Jesus paid the price, and so he intercedes. We can be forgiven, declared holy as though we had never sinned. He is preparing a place for us, the Bible says, because one day he's going to return. And so that where he is, we may be also. The Bible says, full of grace and truth, and that can be yours. That's why we call it good news. It's not good news because we somehow deserved it or earned it or merited it. It's good news because though we don't deserve it and we, we don't deserve God's love and we certainly have not earned it and we certainly don't merit it, Jesus did for us what we could not do. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Let's bow together for a word of prayer. Now, as we pray... If the Holy Spirit is convicting you that you're a sinner, you know that you're a sinner. The Holy Spirit does that so that you will see how much you need the Lord. And right where you are this day, you can repent of your sins. Give your life to place your faith in Christ. Lord, I want to turn from my sin. I, want to, I believe you died for me and rose from the grave for me. He'll, he'll, he'll save you. Ask him to save you right where you are. He'll save you. Watching online, we just give your life to Christ. Trust him as Savior. Don't miss this biggest, most important decision of life. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Can I say a word to you believers as you listen? Sometimes we make the small things big and we make the big things small. This is a big thing. The gospel is a big thing. But often we make it as though it's no big thing at all, as though it's small. We just say, Lord, I want to remember what you've done. From The fact that the word would become flesh and dwell among us. You would tabernacle here among us. Lord, help me to Make this big thing big in my life. To see your greatness and your glory. Father, I thank you for the power of your word, the truth that you teach us, the direction that it gives us. Thank you that you would care about this broken, fallen world, that the word would become flesh and dwell, to, and dwell among us. We thank you for this incredible grace that you give to us. So strengthen us and guide us and lead us. Lord, I pray for people to be saved. I pray for Christians to be strengthened. And I pray, Father, we will follow you fully in Jesus' name. Amen.